This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Halloween, or All Hallows' Eve, is something that evokes primordial senses, an evening that allows one to let go of the conventional bounds of the day and give in to something darker. Essences of the underworld, the realm of the dead, which defines our present and tells our future. Join us on Into the Portal for something a little different this week, as we share with you some legends and take a look into the ancient history of this night we call Halloween. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay, and welcome back, as mm-hmm. usual. It's getting close to a special day. It's like we're waiting for Christmas. <laughs> it kind of feels like, like it. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, I've always loved Halloween, but I feel like starting this show this year has definitely like amped that up by a million, and then, you know, following all the other paranormal shows and stuff, and everyone just gets so psyched for Halloween that it's just become like this... It's just, I mean... It's coming. We're, we're stoked. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we've got a really cool Halloween special for you guys. Um, before we get started, though, we would love to thank a new patron in our Patreon yes. community. Definitely. Um, yeah. Shout out to... Uh, Chris. To Chris over from A Dash of Science Podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much, man, for joining us on our uh, Patreon uh, community. Yeah. Yes. We're really happy to have you. And we're also happy to pledge support to your podcast. Yeah. He's just getting his Patreon up and running. So if anyone's interested in the science of our world and and just gaining knowledge, because he does a really good job of doing that in a very entertaining way. Totally. And he covers things that, like, you know... Uh, like the questions uh, that people often have about stuff, but that, you know, you never have the answers for. Like he covers, like, he just covers cool stuff. He, he they, works for NASA. <laughs> he knows a lot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and you guys would be familiar with him if you've been listening to our show. He's come yeah. on a couple times. So make sure you guys go check out A Dash yeah. of Science podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have uh, a review as well. A new brand new review uh, from the American iTunes. This comes from Two Customs five-star review so thank you so much this was from reed mm-hmm. and it uh did we even actually uh did we paste oh, the actual thing in i here? didn't copy paste that's okay it. but you know what reed thank you sir <laughs> for your enthusiasm and for listening to the show he said that he loved the great lakes the great lakes uh, and the thunderbirds episode i believe yeah. and there was one other one he threw out there well, that's just cool. I, I love Siberia. It. There you go. That's one of my favorites. I love it when people have a favorite episode or a yeah. handful of favorite episodes. It's always neat to see what people kind of lean to in terms of uh, the bizarre. You know what I mean? And if I'm not mistaken, it's the same Reed who recently joined us on our Facebook forum. I believe it is, yeah. So thanks, bud. We appreciate yeah, you man, coming out and, people on there. and just jumping in there. Yeah. Mm. And then what else do we have here? Well, oh, do you want to give the little reminder of our yeah, pumpkin the carving? Pumpkin here? carving 
contest. Yes. It doesn't even have to be a pumpkin, dudes. It could no. be um, a, a, a beet. A rutabaga. A rutabaga. A carrot. A gourd. A carrot. A ca- <laughs> that would be awesome. Bonus points if you carve a carrot. Like yeah. a jumbo carrot. Like seriously. A jumbo carrot. But anyways, it's really easy to enter. All you have to do is basically carve something and <laughs> take a picture of it and then just make sure you post it on any of our social media platforms tag us yeah um follow us as well um, to follow us for sure so that we can keep track of you and um yeah and then you're in that's pretty much it basically yeah so we've got uh, uh, the kryptonaut boys are going to help yep. us uh judge the contest and i mean no no judging really like we no. we i am not that's an a poor artist way to phrase that, actually, yeah no like i guess just like we're looking them over <laughs> we're just going to take a look over them and the ones that pop out the most we're going to narrow it down and, and, uh, and pick hard. a winner. It's going to be tough. I actually didn't even think about that until now. Well, that's why I wanted to bring on those guys to kind of uh, lighten the burden. <laughs> lighten the burden. So thanks, Frollo. Um, no, it's going to be super fun because I love their perspectives on everything. So it's going oh, to be definitely. it's going to be hilarious. It's I think be a the, good uh, time. Yeah, and if we can, rec- we're going to try to record that. If yeah. we can. So I, I don't know exactly if that's going to be doable, but anyway, that'd we'll be a perfect try world. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So get those in and uh, yes, bonus points for episode related stuff. Of course. Now, yes. we ready to kind of jump into what we're talking about this evening? Mm, well, it seems fitting that we're coming down to the wire here, end of the month. We decided we are going to do a sort of a, a walk through time in, in the sort of traditions of Halloween. Yeah. We didn't come up with a great name for that. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's like a history of Halloween. It's kinda. basically a history of Halloween. I mean, we, we kind of realized this year that there was a lot about it that we didn't know. And uh, so we got, we, we started researching some background and we thought it'd be fun to kind of take a walk around the world and in through the, the past of Halloween. Through the ages. Through the ages, so to speak. Exactly. So we are going to start with, um, with the origins, of course. Mm-hmm. And Amber's going to kick us off here. Exactly. Well, Halloween, of course, was not always known as Halloween. Mm-mm. It stretches back throughout history, has become known as All Hallows' Eve. Even before that, the Celtic origins of Samhain, the festival. Um, Yeah, so that was the most ancient uh, form of this sort of um, yearly celebration. It was almost for them the transition between the realm of the living, the, the, the season of life, and right. then the season of death. It was almost a new year, so to speak. In a way, yeah. No, mm-hmm. totally. It actually makes more sense. Like, yeah, the transition period between seasons makes more sense as a new year. It than, actually does, right? the more I thought about it. Because, like, our New Year's Eve On is not... January. Nothing really happens. What's so special It about only it? gets colder. It does. <laughs> and it's just not nice for the rest of the season but this is makes a lot of sense it was a very big celebration with huge significance for the entire community um it went on for about three days um is the tradition right starting on october 31st kind of going into november 2nd was the um sort of idea i got okay and basically this was a time when the dead and the living intermingled um, there were lots of sacrifices, uh, valuables, animals, um, things like that to the spirits of the underworld, so to speak. There were lots of fortunes predicted. Um, the druid priests were particularly active during this time. Their communications with the other world, again, right. were heightened, supposedly. 
and um and people even dressed up in the skins of animals and uh it was just a time where there was almost it seemed as if there were no rules right. it was like things were suspended and yeah. it was almost like the way that i think about it it was like living in a state of purgatory so to speak okay yeah that makes it definitely sound ominous when you put it that way mm-hmm. i think it was um it was it could be taken either on either side of the fence, so so to speak, as like a, you know, a day that's positive or a day that's maybe a little bit more linked to things like that. I found it interesting, even just the pronunciation, like it's it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N and pronounced Mm -hmm. Samhain. And we were talking about the Celts just recently with our episode last week with the Hexham, or sorry, uh, two weeks ago with the uh, the Hexham Heads Mm -hmm. episode. And so this was just kind of funny coming right back into the Celts, and we got into a little bit of their past. You know, this is this is way predating, obviously, modern Christianity or the birth of Christ and things oh, like that, and predating even some some Roman ties to um, mm-hmm. to ha- what we know as Halloween. But um, oh yeah, I didn't really give a date. Sorry, guys. That's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, the Celts. We we mentioned this before. Like the Celts were kind of it, they covered massive swaths of territory, and there was a but it's that's sort of a vague, broad strokes term for mm-hmm. a lot of different. They were on mainland groups. Europe as well as in the British Isles, right? And uh, that is actually interesting. We covered the Celts in our exhibits. Yeah. I didn't even really think about the connection there. Yeah. But again, yeah, the most ancient sort of form of this type of celebration that kind of is loosely tied to this time. Uh, so again, like we're saying, like this is obviously um, before Common Era. Yeah. Um, by the time about, I believe, uh, 43 AD, or was it 43 BC? 43, 43 AD, it was sort of transitioning into a more Christianized version. Right. And uh, this was obviously with the advent of Roman invasion across um, Northern Europe and into, uh, yeah, the British um, territories there. Okay, okay. So, yeah, this was very interesting. Um, we do see a lot of influence in today's classic motifs of Halloween um, evoked in these traditions that are largely ancient. Mm-hmm. We do see some injections of Roman traditions. Um, I believe the festival of, I think it's Pomola or Pomona. Um, so basically it's this um, this Roman goddess who is symbolized by the apple. So that's another sort of motif, you know, like bobbing for apples. Yeah, a lot okay. of people believe that that came from this sort of Roman injection into the Celtic traditions. Interesting. Um, celebration of the apple, you know, like, again, obviously that's a symbol of harvest too. Of course, yeah. So you can kind of loosely base it around that. Oh, we know all about that, don't we? Yeah. Um, obviously, again, we do see the first sort of, um, sort of, I don't even know what you would say, like um, the beginnings of what we would call trick-or-treating and dressing up, all those types of traditions. So yeah. we're going to get into all of that definitely, tonight. Definitely, definitely. Which is just so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me miss being a kid. It like, really Not does. that the uh, Samhain festival was for children, obviously. And this was no. for, well, it was for everyone, but it was... Uh, How our consequence. Yeah, much more. Con- mm. it, that's what it was about. It was exactly. about yeah, being aware of this transition time and knowing what to do to protect yourself and knowing what to do to respect exactly so in its most ancient forms i guess well before we get into the motifs i think we should get into the more the the classic legends that preceded them and the sort of um you had a couple that you pulled up hey andrew yeah sure so they they're super interesting and they're 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 kind of vague like they're not i pulled this up from a few different blogs um but 
non-unconfirmed, let's just say. Like, they are indeed legends. They're okay. folk, folk tales. Because there was no written record That's one thing, and also they're just amalgamated over time, right? It's really, it's tough to... And it might even be partially Christianized, too, which we see a lot of, so... Definitely. Um, One of the interesting ones, though, uh, is an old folktale from the region, says that on the night of Samhain, owls, great owls, so like great horned owls, presumably, Mm -hmm. larger owls, would would swoop down to eat the souls of the dead. Now, how they would be going about this, I don't know, but it's just like the idea of owls as a kind of important figure in Celtic. I I, I didn't actually go into that, but it's just like, we love owls. Like, they're such a weird looking, like, awesome bird. Whenever I think of owls, I think of the Flatwoods monster now. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, it goes on to say, according to mountain legends, an owl hooting at midnight would signify death is coming. And likewise, if you would see an owl um, circling around during the day, it meant that there was bad news coming for somebody nearby. And the importance of animals is all is definitely like prevalent. And we touched on this again in Hexham episode because there was that occult Celtic site where they dug up all these uh, hybrid, this hybrid animal yeah. burial site thing, right? Oh yeah. So anyway, I thought that was kind of neat. This these the legends surrounding uh, the owls, but there was mm-hmm. no real mention of like death gods in Celtic origin. But I pulled some up anyway. Like they they were never really mentioned in relation to Samhain. But mm-hmm. apparently there was Celtic gods of the dead were known as uh, Gwyn Ap Nude for the British and hmm. Arwan in Welsh. Celtic Welsh. Oh, that's Welsh. interesting. Okay. I thought that was kind of interesting. Another so like gods uh, of the underworld, kind of, so to speak. Yeah, something like along those lines. Another flying creature legend related to Samhain night was the idea that bats are also obviously out and about. And this is super, like, iconic with of all course. of Halloween, right? Of course. And it basically meant that good weather is coming. So it's kind of funny. It's like the owls are a negative legend, potentially, and, and the bats were the opposite. Huh. And during the Middle Ages, the bat was, of course, associated with negative things. So this switched over, and this is because of the Christ- yeah. Christian, uh, you know, changes being made to Samhain and the legends of Samhain. Mm. And so it was basically became linked to, of course, dark magic, sorcery, witchcraft. Yeah, that's what you put in the brew. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, So they were seen as like delivering messages between witches and the devil. So when bats were flying over top of you. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. And then last but not least, kind of the most important of them all, I think we're all wondering this, is did the Celts, you know, sacrifice people? Were there human sacrifices on Halloween? And of course, that's sort of the, that is, that's one of the things people think of when you think of like, you know, the negative Christian view of Halloween, I guess, like that mm-hmm. you come up with tales that are extremely dark or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there is some general agreement amongst researchers that there were human sacrifices, just not on Samhain, that oh. in general there were human sacrifices practiced amongst the Celts. But these were usually limited to like criminals, prisoners of war, or people like volunteering to be sacrificed. So like elderly, mm-hmm. almost like going out on the ice flow type really? of thing. Interesting. Apparently. Well, because I, obviously we did come across this with the Hexham heads and the whole idea that um, the idea, yeah, that the head was so central um, in their symbology and in their religious practices that mm-hmm. it was obviously a symbol of prowess if you did have the heads of your enemies kind of like spear Oh, yeah, around. they were beheading all the time. They were beheading. <laughs> yeah, I actually had an interesting comment on Facebook today about a possible connection to 
head cults and, and just um, werewolf motifs in sculptures and stuff. I haven't actually had a chance to really look into it yet, but I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. Hexam, hey, it just keeps going. It just keeps coming up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's very interesting, though, that you're bringing up sacrifice here because... Um, yeah, starting to get a little dark here. Yeah. So. And so obviously the Christians were not very crazy about this when they started to come in and see what these pagan crazy folk were doing. So yeah, like it was from obviously, their perspective. It was obviously seen as like a direct threat, the idea that there was a link between the living and the dead. And the idea too that it's not um, a monotheistic spiritual world. Where right. it, there are, yeah, exactly, these sorts of um, tears and connections or something you could say between these two realms. And totally. that it's not ruled over by, like, you know, like, an all-powerful deity, and so of course, And, of course, the idea that druid priests were the ones uh, amongst the Celts who were, you know, in the oak forest and had the knowledge and mm-hmm. were accessing, you know, you know, performing divination ceremonies to, like, access the spirits and stuff like that. That's, that's no, the... No. Uh, those are the, your biggest threat to those people. Exactly. If yeah. you're the church, They have the right. most authority within their communities. Right. Yeah. So all very interesting. Yeah. Um, again, obviously, um, Samhain eventually developed into what is known as All Souls Day, followed by All Hallows Eve, which is actually just a euphemism for saint. Hallow is a saint. I mm-hmm. didn't actually know that. So that's a fun little fact. Yeah, right that's kind of interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> One of the, uh, I pulled up actually here, this is a little bit more modern, but just to give oh, an yeah. idea of like the sort of, uh, the messages being sent from the the Catholic and Christian backgrounds of Halloween is basically saying that Samhain was a god and not just a festival. Like, so the message is a lot of that Samhain was the Celtic god of the dead and worshipped by the <laughs> Druids, which is just false. Yeah. Outright false. And you find that all over online if you search around like, oh, the dark past of Halloween and you'll get it on like jehovahswitness.org and different things like that. Basically saying that, uh, well, okay, there's, there's a comic book that came out from this guy named like Jack Chick was this Mm -hmm. one example. I think this was older. This was like in the sixties or seventies or something like that. It looked pretty retro. But this is just like one example of thousands of examples, obviously of sort of this backward message saying that Druid priests on Halloween would essentially go from house to house, castle to castle, and steal young women in order to obviously defile them and then sacrifice them Ooh. to the gods on, of Samhain. Oh dear. Um, oh dear. <laughs> so basically, basically just saying Halloween is is pagan devil worship, essentially. It's the, the hard line stance against Halloween coming mm-hmm. from religious... Uh, that's that's yeah. kind of harsh. Yeah. But it, it, just, that this, it just goes to show how... That was the, I mean, yeah. So that's this, very modern, right? That's, that's sort of a more websites. modern take. But I mean, this is what you get out of, uh, yeah, that early Christianization of Halloween, of taking away, of shunning the pagans and... Uh, that's so interesting because the original Christianization of the event or the, the festival or whatever you want to call it, the holiday, has been completely lost there, mm-hmm. right? Because it was initially sort of converted to celebrate saints, Right. So it's actually kind of odd that we don't have that as an official holiday anymore. All and Saints Day. Totally. Just got I lost know, right? to the ages. And it's sort of ironic that like the, it is linked, All Saints Day is linked to these ancient ceremonies and the transition into, you know, Halloween as it, as it stands today or whatever. But then mm. we have, you know, the modern commercialized version of Halloween and that's what like hardline, you know, yeah. religious people take a stance against being like, you know, don't dress up like, you know, you're, you're dressed up like a witch. Like that's that's devil worship or whatever and things like that yeah. yet 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 it's actually so closely linked 
in and of itself. It is very you know funny. I mean? So, yeah. So, like, that is a very interesting transition and kind of that's just a disconcerting perspective of the modern perspective, Indeed. I should say. But, it, yeah. So, again, like we were alluding to, Celts kind of have the reigns as far as it being the most ancient. You do get the introduction of Roman Catholicism, all that kind of stuff. And essentially, popes start getting involved here. Yeah. So by about 609 AD, we get Pope number one, Boniface the fourth. Um, <laughs> pope number one. I love pope you put number, number Like you literally spelt it. One. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on, man. Anyways, um, he, he dedicated um, this pantheon of Rome. So pantheon is just like this ancient structure it was completed and it's one of the best preserved monuments in ancient world but anyway so that's kind of a side note um so he dedicated this pantheon in honor of all the martyrs of the catholic faith and eventually it kind of got converted to all saints um gregory this third ended up changing it about 200 years later uh, and it was interesting too because actually um all saints or all martyrs day i should say it was actually may 13th and then he ended up changing it. Pope Gregory changed it to November 1st. And it was just a political move on the part of the church because they did want to make those changes right, in, of course. in foreign lands. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we end up in the sort of early Middle Ages with these sorts of early transitions. But you do get um, the, the sort of... Uh, the perseverance of the pagan traditions. So things like, like we mentioned, um, dressing up, going door to door, um, asking for food or treats. Yeah. Um, as well as the lighting of hollowed out vegetables, um, that had very early origins. Um, I'm missing any, I don't know. So let's go through these like one by one. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, starting with dressing up the idea of costume, and changing yes. like yeah. I, I i think this is so cool because obviously it's the most fun part about halloween mm-hmm. but in the celtic tradition like you mentioned earlier on it was this transition time and it was kind of cool we get sort of two sides of this it's like the one version is like you dress up during Samhain to blend in amongst the spirits it's almost mm. like a form of protection. It's like a camouflage. Camouflage. Like you came across one, you're all alone. Yeah. You... It would mistake you as another spirit and exactly. you'd be okay. Right. Which, Which is, is funny. Which so eh? cool. It's... it's just, but it's, it's again, it's like this idea that the rules are suspended. You can be who you're not. Right. It almost reminds me of, um, oh, what's it called down in... Uh, New Orleans, they have that day where... <laughs> oh, like, like, oh, yeah, 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 like, a Mar- like Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras! <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. With all the masks and stuff are so important with that, too. Exactly. So that's sort of, like, the one version. It's almost like a protection. And then the other side is to make them feel welcome. You know, you're, the, mm-hmm. the costumes are to look like them so that the spirits can come out. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and this is the time when the, the barriers between the worlds of the living and the dead were the most thin, mm-hmm. is another way of thinking about it. Definitely. It wasn't just the transition time, but if you believe it to be literally two different worlds or dimensions or however you want to think about it, mm-hmm. that's when the rotation of the earth and the changing of the seasons made it really thin between that portal. Ooh, yes. And I even saw, like, there was um, some young men would just... Well, young men, but some individuals would become so enamored with um, the festivities and just, like, almost like just like a feverish sort of... Um, 
I don't even know, like, um, ritualistic dancing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they would get so involved. Like, it was almost like they were, yeah, in a trance or they were communicating, like, shamanistically right. with uh, spirits and so stuff So that's like, that. like... Or spirits were coming into them and becoming them kind Exactly. Of thing. Like a form of reverse divination or something. Yeah, totally. So you had people dressing up, obviously, originally with, like, you know, uh, animal skins, mm-hmm. other types of very basic costume. And, of course, this evolved into, like, the classic kind of bed sheet type thing that you would that you'll see like in retro photographs and stuff like that but that's what it would have been it was literally like you know think picture like the 1700s 1600s and people celebrating this festival and just trying to blend in with what they perceived as spirit the spirit world yeah what are you gonna wear i don't know (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) something dark and creepy and just yeah masked totally it's kind of interesting how like yeah like masks would have played such an important role and today we don't even like allow kids to wear masks well you can't you can wear masks as part of your costume you just can't wear it to school i guess yeah we got pretty strict about that yeah i guess for good reason if you want to believe some of the legends Mm, but uh yeah so the other huge one obviously is trick-or-treating right and again Like we've said, this was a time when the rules kind of were suspended and normal customs that would be, like, you know, um, adhered to were just kind of let go of. And so this included um, the (laughs) acceptability of begging, so to speak. So eventually, well, children mostly, but um, not so well off adults as well, beggars and such, would go from house to house asking for food in exchange for song or prayer. Um, way back in the day, this uh, practice was termed souling, like your soul. Yeah. And the children who did this were called soulers or individuals who practiced this. So I thought that was cool. And then eventually costumes were incorporated into the tradition, but mostly it involved some sort of performance or some sort of act of gratitude, so to speak. And um, most often what was given um, to the solars was something called a soul cake (laughs) or also known as a heart cake too by some people. And they were just these little small cakes and they often had crosses on top of them, which kind of symbolized a soul being freed from purgatory as when the cake was eaten. Yeah. So they were obviously kind of sweet and they had very fall flavors. So cinnamon, raisins, ginger, nutmeg, everything you'd find in the pie, essentially. That sounds really good. Sounds really yummy. Yeah. And it didn't really like, obviously this tradition did move to North America with the advent of colonization and all this kind of stuff. And um, the Irish and the Scots um, kind of carrying on the traditions of the Celts and everything. Um, kind of, yeah, they, obviously they continued on with this practice and it yeah. became known as trick-or-treating. And this is a very, very brief summary of this whole history. I don't want anyone to think that this is like a comprehensive overview because we're not claiming to know everything No, not at all. And um, there's a lot of rabbit holes to go down. Oh, too. for sure, yeah. If we were really going to do a history of Halloween, honestly, we would have to take a couple of months. And yeah. Do- Exactly, because a lot of websites you come across, they have the same information, and I don't mean to be critical of history.com, but I'm pretty sure they plagiarized an earlier blog. We've that noticed actually, that a few different times. Yeah, like they had it copyrighted in 2007, and then literally word for word, verbatim paragraphs were in full reproduced <laughs> in a later, and they said they had copyrighted until like 2009. Right, so. and we try to get our hands on hard copies of stuff whenever we can, but it's oh, time. Yeah. time but anyways, I was kind of disheartened with that, but... Anyways, just just getting back to what we're talking about. Um, So this tradition, right, is becoming a little bit more modern. 
um, it again becomes trick or treating and it gets quite nasty. Yeah. So instead of it being souling, um, it became like guising. And then also like there were these like kids were getting mean about it. Like they weren't, it wasn't an exchange of a treat for a performance or a song or a prayer or something. It, was a it became threat, exactly that. It was like not. It was it was a demand. Right. <laughs> and there was actually um, I I heard well I heard I read that there were actually recorded accounts where kids would set up like barricades in neighborhoods and they wouldn't allow anyone to pass and uh, and also very nasty pranks. So things like. Um, opening up the barn so like, yeah. all the animals would escape, all their animals <laughs> or taking um, the wheels off of people's like wagons or something sure. or whatever anything yeah. they could do yeah. I didn't hear anything about egging I wonder when egging came around well you wouldn't be throwing away good food what about TP we didn't even do TP well you can't throw away good TP either <laughs> <laughs> Remember in Bob's Burgers in the Halloween episode, it's like, Tina, you know you're going to have to put that back on the roll when you get back, right? She's got her mummy costume. I'm a mummy. That's a mummy. She's got a little baby doll with her. <laughs> so oh, good. Man. But anyways. Yeah, yeah. so that that is... Isn't that funny, hey? It's funny to think about the types of things that uh, people would have come up with or possibly done. I oh, mean, isn't, gosh, isn't that one of the most... How rotten just, kids and, got it. And we just watched, and we're probably going to mention this a little closer to the end, but we just watched the movie Trick or Treat mm-hmm. the other night. One of our favorite Halloween movies. It's so it's great. Because so it's like, you can watch it with kids, but it's also great oh. for adults too. Maybe not young, young I, kids, but it... There's some nudity in there. Oh, come on. It's like barely PG thirteen. <laughs> like, I was watching that one. It's like barely PG thirteen in terms of like how scary it is. True. There's a few moments that are quite tense, but other than that, it's quite amenable to younger audiences. I guess. Right. Right. And I feel like the most the the most eerie thing about the idea of trick or treating and like that movie really like nailed this on the head. It's like when the doorbell rings and you don't know who's on the other side, <laughs> right? And you yeah. open it, you're expecting a kid. You maybe open it up and there's mm-hmm. nothing there. That we've been Nikki Nikki Nine Door uh, at Halloween in the past, and that is spooky. Or the opposite, right? When you're trick or treating and you go up to a creepy looking house that you don't even know if anyone's home, but you think you might see a glow inside, <laughs> yeah. and then they open. Like you know, you're not. You're just waiting, and you hear it creak, 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 right. and you're just like, um, probably should have rang this doorbell. Yeah. Like, How oh badly do you want that coffee crisp? Um, not that bad. <laughs> no, they suck. And you know what always happens, too, in those movies is they, they go up there and they're shaking in their boots the entire time. And then they drop all their candy. It's ridiculous, man. man. hold on to that bag of candy because not only are With you an losing your candy, fist. but it's like bags of candy would make for half-decent little weapon in a, in a oh, pinch. Oh, yeah. Swing that thing around real hard. You got hard. some hard suckers in there. <laughs> Get some cans of pop in there. Oh, yeah. I got a couple full cans of Pepsi <laughs> back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Well, okay, so the the devolution of trick-or-treating or souling, yeah. very unfortunate. There was obviously a little respite during World War II, and there was, like, sugar rationing and stuff, but then Halloween came back in full force, and there was a lot of um, modernity involved in, like, the recreation of Halloween-ness and all sorts of that kind of stuff, which we see in movies and all sorts, like even just like the rise of the Halloween series in the seventies, right? With Michael totally. Myers, yeah. all the stuff. Like, oh man, we need to do that series. Well, no. Wow. How much can you say about it? It's well, too I could late probably now, say too, because like we, I mean, we're too close to Halloween to cover it. But next year, I guess. Maybe next year. There was just the new release. Like there was the latest installment. 
of that, yeah. right? So, Ooh, and they have um, uh, what's her name in it? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh Jamie, my gosh, Jamie Lee Carter. No, Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, Carter Curtis. Close enough. Carter Curtis. She's great. Susan though. Sarandon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh god. So we're kind of getting into well, my favorite part about Halloween really is carving jack-o'-lanterns and hence the competition we wanted to do. And I was always kind of curious about the origins of the jack-o'-lantern and just assumed that it would have been from Samhain. But of course the pumpkin didn't really make its way over the, the, it did in the, in terms of rutabagas and root vegetables and stuff like that, but like the the quintessential jack-o'-lantern didn't, uh, wouldn't have made its debut until after North American contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's funny that you say quintessential jack-o'-lantern because a uh, jack-o'-lantern was literally just a jack of the lantern right so this is cool because okay. we have a whole sort of like halloween story about jack-o'-lanterns but i think just right off the bat it's just cool to think about the idea that in like a lot of traditions including like celtic folklore and, and european whatever <laughs> european whatever um jack Jack, you hear this name a lot in different Spring stories. Spring Jack, Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper, yeah, exactly. Um, Jack and the Beanstalk, uh, all sorts of crazy stories and, yeah. and just folklore. And it's interesting because Jack, like even, um, oh my gosh, what's it called? Um, what's the the Jack of the Winter? It's like, it's like, uh, it's what they call a snowman. Oh, oh, Jack oh, Frost. Jack Frost. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. We should edit that out. <laughs> um, anyways, but it's actually a really common motif for just, like, a spirit. Right. So I think that's interesting because Jack of the Lantern actually refers to a sort of a mid to late uh, medieval um thing known as yeah jack of the lantern which was most commonly thought of as like this mysterious light that was seen in bogs and forests and often had a lot of interpretations but really what we would think of it now today is actually swamp gas so that's cool and a lot of kids around all hallows eve would make fun of this sort of legend of the jack-o'-lantern um, by carving out vegetables, placing embers or whatever, small candles in them, and then running in through the woods as if they were jack-o'-the-lantern. Like the spirit floating through the woods. Kind of, yeah, but uh, it has an even earlier sort of origin story, too. Kind of getting ahead of myself. We're telling the story backwards here. Okay, okay. So essentially, jack-o'-the-lantern came from this story that has lots of different versions. Um, I, I came across so many when I was researching, but... Essentially, it's the story of Stingy Jack and the Lantern. So it goes back many hundreds of years in Irish history. Um, But the most popular rendition is of this character called Stingy Jack, who is often depicted as a drunkard, someone who enjoys the drink, often spending time in the tavern. And Stingy Jack liked to sting his company because he didn't like to pay for Ah, his drinks. I see. As the story goes, one night, Jack was up to his usual antics in the tavern, and he came across the devil of all people. (laughs) And not wanting to refuse a drink, Jack decided to sit down for one last one with his old pal, the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there's a few different ways the story goes down, but one of them is that um, the devil 
essentially trades Jack a drink for his soul. And there's other versions of this, but essentially this happens, Jack accepts, and then the devil goes to pay, and being a shapeshifter, he turns himself into a coin and tells Jack to pay with the coin. Jack is a little bit sharper than the devil takes him for, ends up pocketing the coin next to a silver cross, preventing the devil from transitioning back into his original form. And Jack skips out on the bill and essentially holds the devil hostage until the devil agrees not to take Jack's soul when he dies. Um, And then there's another more extended version where Jack tricks the devil again by luring him up a tree, daring him, I guess. And then he ends up, this is very (laughs) strange, but essentially he takes about, like, I don't even know, you need like a dozen or so crosses and hammers them into the ground all around the tree so the devil can't get down. And he has the devil up in a tree, so to speak, and then he basically makes the devil swear that he will never take Jack's soul into hell when Jack dies. So obviously this story has a twist or two. Um, Jack ends up dying of old age, as anyone would, and goes up to heaven, is told by God that he has lived a terrible life and that he is a horrible human being. And send them down to hell. <laughs> and so... St. Peter kicks him in the butt. Exactly. He didn't get in. So anyways, he goes down to hell, and this is where the devil has the last laugh, because he remembers the promise that he made to Jack years earlier. And essentially, the devil keeps his word and does not allow Stingy Jack into hell. And he dooms Jack to forever roam the dark underworld of basically purgatory. Right. And Jack, realizing his blunder, asks the devil what he will take with him to light the way. Um, So essentially, yeah, um, he ends up (laughs) giving him a lantern. Right. And he becomes this Jack of the Woods, Jack of of the Lantern. And uh, yeah, he's doomed forever. So That would be a terrifying... uh like a folkloric tale for young kids it's back in the day, really right? Terrifying. I mean, you see, you see that swamp gas coming from a bog oh or something, gosh, and you'd yeah. be like, you'd yeah, be running the other way. Freaky So it's interesting, right? Because you do get an injection of Christian morals in this tale. Yeah. So it's obviously not sort of going back all the way to. Um, the Celtic uh, Samhain sort of festivities no. and stuff. I wonder if there was an earlier version. I couldn't come up with that, but. Essentially, in the Celtic tradition, um, adults and children would carve out vegetables in order to um, protect themselves from spirits that yeah. were wandering. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the whole idea of, like, Jack being injected into that is very... It's a very curious... And then some people... It's, it's hard, right? Because you get a lot of people that do a lot of summary armchair research. Well, like, we do sometimes, but we like to be a little more thorough and check out more than one source. Of course. But some people will say that, like, basically... Oh, the Celtic tradition is basically that the children and adults will carve out vegetables to scare off Jack. No. And it's like, but Jack wasn't even relevant yeah, to them. He wasn't even there. It wasn't even a so thing, you get yeah. these mix-ups, right? And sort of, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate, but again, like, um, yeah, it's so many different versions. This is an interesting quote here from Mental Floss that you added in. Oh yeah, you want to read that one out? Sure. 
Um, so this is a direct quote. <laughs> so this is kind of how it uh, got the namesake with associated with the pumpkin itself. So yeah. in America, pumpkins were easy enough to come by and good for carving, um, and they slowly got absorbed both into the carved lantern tradition and the uh, associated prank. So over time, kids refined the prank and began carving crude faces into the pumpkins to kick up the fright factor and make the lanterns look like disembodied heads. Mm. By the mid-1800s, Stingy Jack's nickname was applied to the prank pumpkin lanterns that echoed his own lamp, and the pumpkin jack-o'-lantern got its name. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. It makes sense. It kind of does. There might be a few logical flaws in that, uh, yes. as far as yeah. the idea that um, over the time they started carving faces into pumpkins. It's like, well, uh, the the practice of car- that's just it too. That's another muddled sort of thing. Like yeah. the actual carving of faces into things versus actual just carving them out. You know, yeah. like I would imagine that the Celts probably a little bit more um, artistic than just carving a hole in it to like, you know, well, it's obviously a different way. type of thing, too. It's like you can hollow out a, a pumpkin or a squash and things like that. But the, the 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 Celtic heads, like that's what their their Samhain type things like remind me of. Right. Like the mm. small, very simple stone heads where you take an object and it's literally just the basics of what you need. Yeah. And I find that to be way more creepy than like a detailed creepy face. Yeah. That's something I didn't get confirmation on, though, and yeah. that's why we need an actual, we need a comprehensive research session of months in order to come up with all of these answers. Indeed. Unless we have, like, a, a Halloween school. I don't know how much right it matters, now. really, though, the, when, if a face is hollowed out or if it's, or if it's, or if it's carved just in, the yeah. importance is when it was, why and when that was done. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because even, like, yeah, like, there are other connotations of jack-o'-lanterns, which could even just be a generic term for, like, a man with a lantern or, like, a watchman, that type of thing. Um, some people, yeah, would refer to that. It, but anyways, yeah, it's interesting, though, because, like we said, Jack, 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 Jack he's everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Jack, jack-o'-legs. I've never heard of that one. Me neither. <laughs> British folklore, hey? Who who in Britain's listening? Kate Jack in Irons. We got Ian and uh, uh, Ian a few over there. Others. We got a few other uh, friends over oh, in the UK. Um, oh my gosh, the names escaping me. Ugh, I suck. We suck with names. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we know we know where you are yeah. over there, sort of. <laughs> but it, it's interesting though because going back to the whole swamp gas thing, this was cute. I came up with a whole plethora of names um, that would describe this. So like jack o' lanterns, obviously one of them. Um, hinky punks, that's another one. Uh-huh. Hobby lanterns, um, corpse candles. That's Ooh, creepy. I love that. <laughs> corpse candles. Fairy lights, that's another. Okay. Will, Will of the Wisps and Fool's Fire. I like Fool's Fire too because that would imply that people are like going in after it. Like they're like, oh, there's a flame, we need it. Let's go get the fire. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like the people from North Sentinelese Island. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you gotta preserve it until it goes out. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I love this. This is so much history and definitely. I'm and it's like a lot of a lot of. I'm having a good time with this one. Me too. Glass of wine, talking about some Halloween <sighs> stuff. It's great. Can't I, we wanted to kind of like just give a taste of kind of Halloween around the world too, beyond mm-hmm. just the the origins and the past and stuff. And of course, one of the main things that comes to mind for everybody has to be the the Day of the Dead in Mexico, um, Dia de los Muertos, and. Of course, this is a misconception, right? Because people think it is directly linked to Halloween, or that it is basically Mexican Halloween. Mm, But of course, it's mm -hmm. not. Um, Though it is kind of related, the two events, they differ in traditions and tone. Like Halloween in the North American tradition now, of course, has this dark terror mischief 
vibe to it. And then even in, when we go back and look at Samhain and the Celts, it was, there was elements of that. It was still this time when the dead could communicate with the living, but there was a bit of like, okay, we've got to protect ourselves from it at the same time though, right? Okay. Whereas the Day of the Dead festivities kind of like are a little bit more joyous. You know what I mean? Like it's super mm, colorful. Celebratory. You're you're mm-hmm. still dressing up for the same reasons a lot of, in a, in a way. It's almost like a Samhain. New Orleans funeral. Yeah. Like oh yeah, totally. The vibe of it is like exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Like super joyous and celebratory. Yeah. But you're still wearing the like the skeleton masks, and you're still dressing up to blend in with the spirits. Mm-hmm. Like to blend in with the, it's their day, so you have to dress like them. Okay. You know what I mean? Cool. I'm um, like I don't know why I'm having that image of the 007 that movie. What was that one? It's back yeah right where the opening scene i love that That opening scene yeah totally really cool really great sorry (laughs) we need to go to mexico city for what for a day of the dead ceremony celebration that would be epic or even down for that um what's that black mass in cata catamarco or something like that or oh was that oh did that come up in the las brujas Mm -hmm. episode oh people are loving that las brujas one too i love oh man such a cool topic. Sorry, what's what's sorry. even cooler, though, about the Day of the Dead is that it originated thousands of years before. So it has an ancient past, very much like Halloween has an ancient past. Cool. It originates with um, Aztec traditions. So basically, like, the the Toltec and the Hua people and other sort of descendants of the Aztec were... They, they considered, like, mourning the dead disrespectful. So today's Dia de los Muertos is a mashup, basically, of pre-Hispanic religions where it was a little bit more kind of, like, negative mm-hmm. and the religious Christian sort of side of it, Catholic side of it, where... I guess it's... It, the Catholic side of it in the Americas, though, is different. It's different yeah. than in Europe, right? Yeah. Like, it's not the same... There isn't the same demonic connotations to things. No. It's a little bit more free and open over there. Yeah, a little more ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, but the reason you see everyone dressed up like with the the skeleton masks is because of the Aztec background. So the okay. Aztecs placed a great amount of importance on the skull. Oh yeah, and of course, where do we see this? We've been talking about this with the Celts for this whole exactly. time. Exactly, the, the head. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a reminder of both life and death. It's like the seed of the soul. Exactly. Too. Yeah. So that's why you see these images of the skull or the calavera mm-hmm. are obviously very present, present, prevalent. Um, Present and perfect. And they're displayed in different ways. Like, they're displayed humorously. Um, they're displayed in sort of se- subtle, scary ways. Some of them are really colorful. Some kind of them are just more dark. More... Um, almost like um, black comedy. Almost. It's kind of the vibe. Almost, yeah. <laughs> it's because it's so playful, yet it's so like... The... It's like a death carnival. Yeah. It's almost it's almost like a joke. Man, but it I is, really want to go to this thing. I know, right? And then I thought this was kind of interesting because I didn't know this, but apparently, like, the United Nations and U- UNESCO, like, yeah. the World Heritage, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. conservation, it's not just about monuments and things and stuff, it's about days. So, actually, the Day of the wow. Dead is, like, a World Heritage Day. Cool. And I thought that that was really cool. That's neat. Yeah. Preserving it for all time. I know, right? I also pulled up Ireland. Because we've been talking about Samhain and oh, yeah. obviously the British Isles and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's just like, well, what is going on there today? So, of course, they still celebrate Samhain in a sort of modern version, right? Cool. And apparently, like, the party of all parties for Halloween um, in the UK is in Ireland in a town called the town of Derry. Derry. Or is it like a region of Derry? I don't know. People from the UK, shout us, get at us. <laughs> Where's Derry? But apparently it's like the world's biggest Halloween party. 
Um, more than 30,000 people take to the streets. They're dressed up Whoa. as witches and, and monsters and vampires and ghouls and goblins. That's neat. And Why don't people uh, do that in I, Canada? It's like, it's so depressing here on Halloween. Oh, it's terrible. Like when I was a kid and we used to go out, like the streets were packed. And that isn't just my memory of it. It's like literally like there were so many kids out mm-hmm. treating parties for people celebrating Halloween. There were events downtown. It was, and like, it was like so busy out that it's funny because we actually grew up in the same neighborhood. But I remember like it would be a treat almost to get to go to a creepier or like really well decorated house when no one else was there. Mm. Like, you know, and you're like, yes, I get it all to myself. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Because there's so many there's people. always people showing up. I hated those kids that did like the blow by where they were just like, you're right in the middle of saying track or treat. They just kind of like join in and just push past you and grab the candy and then go and they don't even say trick or treat. That would be so many times. I was a small kid. That's like bad juju if you don't say trick or treat and you get candy. Speaking of bad juju, I feel like that was the theme of that trick or treat movie. Pretty much. Like if you got some bad juju, Halloween spirit's gonna come and get you. I think that is still an important thing to remember with Halloween as commercialized as it is. Yeah. That whether you believe in any of this stuff or not, or you subscribe to any one historical faith or anything or whatever, it's like it, it is it is a day of the dead. It is. It's a day to be respectful. It's, it is. Yes. Most. Yeah. Even just That's to cover most your ass. <laughs> be yeah. respectful. You know what I no mean? No kidding. Um, so, okay. You I, had China pulled up here too. I know. Right? I, I thought this was kind of interesting. You're just all over the map. I know, right? So In a good way. Yeah. <laughs> literally. <laughs> so there is a Halloween festival. It's known as uh, <laughs> Tengche. There you go. Tengche. That's not bad. It's as close as it's going to get for me. Sure. And what they do is essentially food and water are placed in front of photographs for family members who have departed. And then lanterns are lit in order to kind of like light their path so they can travel back to the earth on Halloween night and have this communication. So there's a really positive version of sort of the same Samhain Mm -hmm. idea, right? And then people will worship in Buddhist temples and they basically, they fashion paper boats that they will light on fire and kind of push out and burn during the evening hours. And the purpose of this custom is, of course, remembrance of the dead and, uh, again, like to... It's another method of freeing them. Um, there is Just like the soul cake. Exactly. Very cool. much so. There is a other sort of negative aspect to it too, though, where there's spirits known as pretas. Like, I don't know how to pronounce this or if mm. this is even spelled correctly, <coughs> but basically they're sort of evil spirits. Um, spirits of those who have died as a result of an accident or a drowning or murder or something super negative, obviously, right? Um, a lot of the times, consequently, these people were never buried. And so that's why their presence as these evil pretas and they walk amongst the living. So they were needing to deal with these more dangerous ones. And so there were societies uh, created and they were operate out of Buddhist temples and things like that. And they would perform ceremonies, ceremonies too, that would also include the lighting of lanterns. So Mm -hmm. very much like the other things we've talked about and recite sacred verses, um, to ward off. Evil, okay. Essentially. That's interesting. The idea that they almost remind me of spirits locked in purgatory too, right? If they were like never like buried or like put away. So mm-hmm. like, you know, that's. Mm-hmm. Well, we just listened to an Astonishing Legends episode about like the yokai. Yes. The Japanese ghosts and stuff like that. Freaky. And a lot of those ones, like one of the stories they mentioned was, yeah, like a, a woman getting hit by a train or something. And then like her half severed body like crawled over and like said something to somebody on the platform. But it's like. They just covered her up and left her. And mm-hmm. so she became one of those evil spirits. It never buried, 
like insulted basically you're laying there dying and then you're just ignored that's, that's where interesting. evil comes from. <laughs> I have come across, because I remember we were doing really early research for the show, and I was coming up with lots of top ten lists, and yeah, just like ghost stories and like cursed spirits, that type of thing, and I remember coming across this one Japanese legend. This is Chinese, obviously, but it was a Japanese legend, I'm 90% sure, of exactly that, this half of a woman's body that she like drags towards you and it's like this vision that appears to people at night in their bedrooms or wherever and it's like this effing creepy gory ghost monster thing of a woman that's like half yeah her her legs are missing right and i was like that was right up there with like the red room i think that's one of the most famous ones it is definitely one of the most famous yeah so freaky that's probably the one they were referencing now i think we were listening to it like falling asleep believe it or not (laughs) so a little bedtime story story of severed humans no wonder you didn't sleep well that night yeah no kidding maybe that was it yeah yeah Well, well you know what guys we uh we're not done because uh well we're sort of we're we're wrapping up our conversation about the history of Halloween. We wanted to give you guys a special little Halloween treat yeah. in the form of three Halloween legends. Um, yeah, so we're just going to read those to you. And uh, yeah, it's a trio of spectacular Halloween myths that you may or may not have heard of. Um, I definitely went through um, a large list of ones, like, you know, urban legends and stuff like that. Came up with three that I thought were particularly terrifying. So I hope you guys enjoy. Right. And we both hope you have a happy, happy Halloween, spooktacular festivities and all that stuff. Totally. We mm-hmm. hope you uh, We hope you get really scared, but we hope you stay safe too. Yes. And um, as usual, hit us up on our socials. Mm-hmm. Um, reach out to us uh, into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Come join us on our Facebook forum at Into the Portal Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. And don't forget to carve a pumpkin. Yeah, carve a pumpkin. Anything. I know you guys are going to be carving them anyway, and you can win some cool swag. Exactly. So until next week, have a happy Halloween and enjoy these legends. Legend number one The Buckley Family Horror. One Halloween Eve long, long ago in a distant part of rural America, a group of youngsters thought up a ghoulish Halloween prank. It began in the whispers of the school halls and on the playgrounds and basements of family homes, a wicked deed to scare even the adults. The plan was to dress up a dummy for each household and execute it by beheading on All Hallows' Eve. The body was to be left for all to see and to give trick-or-treaters a nasty surprise. The Buckley kids were thrilled at the macabre plan, but decided to put even a nastier twist on it. The Buckleys were a strange family, living on the edge of town and kept to themselves for the most part. Their business was unknown to the town folk, and siblings Susan and John Buckley were even stranger. Both donned clothes that were noticeably out of date, with Susan wearing a severe Victorian-era high-colored dress and John with his signature black overcoat and a pocket watch that looked older than time itself to the country kids that had never really seen things like this before. The Buckley pair seemed to keep to themselves, never opening up to outside friendships. It was really a topic of gossip amongst the town folk. Even beyond the scope of the playground, the whisperings of the Buckleys seemed always on the lips of one local or another. But that Halloween, the whispers would turn into something else. 
an unspeakable horror that would befall the rural community. An evil so great and so unbelievable. On October 31st at dusk, Susan and John had just completed their daily chores. Tired and sweaty, they returned to their family homestead, with evil on their minds. Instead of placing the axe in its usual spot, wedged securely in its chopping block, John leaned it against the outside of the house as he entered the building. Susan remained outside, gathering kindling for the fire, as she normally did. The children looked at each other through the kitchen window, exchanging a glance that would send chills up the spine of any passerby. Mrs. Buckley, the mother, stood at the counter, scrubbing potatoes for their evening meal, unaware of the evil lurking in her household. She heard her daughter calling out to her from the barn, and wiping her hands on her apron, she glanced outside before stepping into her shoes to see what was the matter with Susan outside. As she exited the house, John followed behind her, silently retrieving the axe from beside the doorway. Mrs. Buckley was unaware of John as she approached the darkened barn. The entrance was ajar, and as their mother stepped through the threshold, a sickening thud landed the axe square in the back of her neck, her spine instantly crushed by the force of her son's blow. As her knees buckled, eyes opened wide with shock, the death blow was repeated. The bloody axe retched out of the cartilage and brought down again, the force of it partially separating the head from the shoulders, the sinewy connective tissues stretching and snapping as spurts of blood began gushing from the wound. As her mother lay dying on the straw floor of the barn, Susan emerged from the shadows, her eyes distinctly black with a red glow emanating from their depths. She looked at her brother, whose eyes had similarly transformed into gaping black holes. They were both grinning fiendishly as they stood over their dead mother. A ritual of the darkest nature took place in the barn that eve, and what remained of the souls of those two damned children were lost in that evil. Trick-or-treaters, who would later show up at the property, got the scare of their lives when they encountered a very real, very bloody remains of a body, that of Mrs. Buckley, partially eaten, her head placed neatly in her lap as she sat in repose on the front porch. The Buckley children disappeared into the night that Halloween, never to be seen again by their neighbors or anyone else. Legend number two, the 1962 Halloween Massacre. The night that Halloween 1962 was particularly dark, the yellow harvest moon had traced its way into a sliver of a crescent that hung in the sky. The celebrations were well underway in a rural Idaho town. It was a different time back then, a time when the best Halloween costumes were usually homemade and strictly designed to maximize the scare factor. One must-stop house party was already in full swing by the time the moon appeared. An enthusiastic partygoer decided to gather everyone for a snapshot of the festivities. Little did those present know that this would be the very last Halloween party they would ever get to take part in. Shortly before midnight, a costumed man assumed to be part of the festivities began to unfold a sinister plot. Without anyone taking notice, the masked marauder traced the outside of the house boarding up all exits out of the building. Slipping in through a secret entrance, 
the intruder chose his weapon, a regular old kitchen knife, and began ruthlessly slashing through the crowds of costume partygoers. Screams could be heard a block away as copious amounts of blood were sprayed across the walls, splattering all over the ceiling as the panicked crowd began running for the exits, only to find them all blocked. It is said that the masked murderer only got away with seven kills before disappearing into the Halloween night, never to be caught by Idaho authorities. Legend number three, the babysitter and the visitor. This frightening Halloween legend is vague, with its exactness of time and place being lost, something that's common over the years. But the story goes as follows. Jenny, a teenage girl living in the comforts of suburbia, was tasked with babysitting her neighbor's children while they attended a Halloween party that evening on the 31st. It was the first year Jenny decided to stop trick-or-treating, because, of course, she was a big girl now, too mature to dress up and to beg for Halloween goodies. Mr. and Mrs. Smith had left for the evening, leaving Jenny with a number to call them in case of an emergency, in case anything should go awry. Jenny and the Smith children had a frightfully fun evening of trick-or-treating, followed by a showing of Beetlejuice before Jenny put the young ones to bed for the night, their bellies full of Halloween sweets, the doorbell had rung more than a few times, as the Smiths had gone all out in their Halloween decorations that year, with ghosts swaying from the tree branches hanging over top of a fully decked out graveyard, tombstones, cobwebs, jack-o'-lanterns and all. Even the interior of the house was fully decorated as a house of horrors, with the decorations spewing out of all corners of the home. Kind of strange, Jenny thought to herself, why would they go to all the trouble only to go out for the entire evening? But shrugging it off, the preteen microwaved herself a big bowl of popcorn before settling in to watch a horror movie of her own to cap off the Halloween Eve. Nestled on the sofa, Jenny couldn't help but feel as if she was being watched. The spooky decor of the house was kind of throwing her off. In particular, she felt the eyes of a life-size clown following her as she moved around the house that night, its dramatic makeup enhanced by the shadows of the night, turning something that Jenny used to find funny into something much more sinister. She wasn't exactly thrilled with all the Halloween decorations. At about 11.30, she picked up a phone call. It was the Smiths. Everything a-okay, Jenny reported, except for the spooky feeling she kept getting from the clown decorations seated in the corner of the room. Just then, Mr. Smith's voice faltered in response, after Jenny spoke the words over the phone. In a panicked voice, he said, What clown decoration? He then frantically demanded that she go wake up the children and exit the house as soon as they could. But before he could finish his sentence, the line went dead. Fear froze the blood in Jenny's veins as she realized that all was not quite right. As she dashed up the staircase, she swore she heard a soft, ominous giggling following close behind her. As she flung open the door to the children's bedroom, Jenny was pushed into the room herself as a terrifying cackle broke out in a sing-song chorus of laughter. The Smiths arrived home minutes later, only to find the front door of their home wide open. Everything in place, except for their two children and the babysitter they had hired. The fate of the three victims remains unknown to this day.
And that concludes our Halloween legends. We hope you enjoyed this special episode, and we'll see you next week on the other side of the portal.